Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. You came back. Most of you. How are you guys? Good? Yeah? He's such a good, good father. And, uh, you know, I've, I think for so long, fathers on earth have been... It's something the enemy has really come after is the idea of fathers. You know, you look at, you just look at divorce and how it's rampant. You look at how many fathers aren't, aren't there in their children's lives. And, and I think um, the family unit as a whole has been under such attack because for so long we've, we've lived, and, and naturally so as we're little kids, you know, when we grow up and you kind of look and your idea of what a father is like is shaped by the one that you have or don't have. And, and I think that... that um, that that's understandable when we're children, but there becomes a time in our lives when we, when we grow up. Like Paul said, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I did as a child, I spoke as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. And, and so we get to this age at some point in our lives, hopefully, where we understand that, that actually that man that I looked up to as father was just a human being like me. I remember when I was going to have a kid, I remember when, I was, when we found out that we were, um, that Patty was pregnant. You know, people say we were pregnant. I guess I wasn't pregnant, but we're one, so maybe we were. I don't know. But, but so we, I found out that Patty was pregnant with our first child, and I realized I was going to be a father. I was going to be a dad. And I thought, I, I, I can't be a dad. I'm not ready to be a dad. I, I, I'm, there's no way. Like, my dad was awesome, and, and he knew everything. And, 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 and there's no way that I can be for him, uh, for this child that's coming, what my dad was for me. And I felt so insecure and un- unconfident in that. And the only reason I had any confidence at all is because I understood that God trusted me enough to place this, this child that he loves more than I do into my life. And so if he thought that I could be a father, then I guess I think I can be a father. But, but then you have a child, right? And those of you that don't, you'll understand this when you do. But you understand that the light bulb comes on at some point in your life where you realize, oh, my dad didn't know everything. Because I don't have to know everything, I just have to know more than my kid. And I, and I just have to, them to think that I know everything. And, 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 and so we look up at our dads and, you know, their dads answer us these questions and, and, and they always know everything and they can do everything. But, it, but at some point in our lives, all of us should come to this place, I hope, where we actually can see our earthly parents, our earthly father, our earthly mother as human beings and as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we honor them and respect them as the parents that raised us. But we also have a grace for them and we understand they're not perfect. They were never intended to be a perfect representation of God. And we've placed this idea that, that our earthly parents are a representation of who we are. And then in some cases, our theology even backs that up. And then we make the reason why people aren't okay is because their earthly father wasn't perfect. And they have to go back and they have to forgive their earthly father for not being perfect. And that way they can be okay. But the truth of the matter is, is Jesus dealt with all of that when he spoke to us and said, For you have one who is your father and he is in heaven. Call no earthly man your father. Right? We understand He is a good, good Father. We understand that He truly does love us, that He is perfect in all of His ways. And then when we see areas where our earthly father, our earthly mother fell short, rather than having to go to them and make them the villain of our story and make things okay by what we do with them, we can actually see them and have mercy and have compassion and understand, you know what, they did the best that we could and we're thankful for them rather than angry with them. Rather than holding them accountable and making them the villain of our story, we see them as somebody who was just trying to love us the best that they knew how. They never set out to ruin your life. They never woke up in the morning and said, I wonder how badly I can screw my child up. They woke up wanting to love you. Wanting to make your life the things that their life wasn't. And sometimes, guess what? Their parents weren't perfect. And so they learned imperfection through the lens of their parent. And if they never understood who God was as Father, really understood that, then all they had to give was what they had received. Guess what? The gospel is greater than that. Who you are in Christ is greater than that. And there's a day that when I was a child, I thought as a child, I did as a child, I spoke as a child. But there's a day that comes that I become a man, that you become a man, that you become a woman in Christ. And you understand, I am who God says that I am. And even though my parents may have missed the mark, even though my friends may have let me down, even though things like that might have happened, he's a good, good father. And I'm loved by him and he's perfect in all of his ways. And so I look to him to see what a father is like. I look to him to see what a parent is like. I look to him to see love. I look to him to see perfection. And I see it through the lens of Jesus Christ hanging on a tree, his only son that gave his life for me because my father loved me so much. If we ever wonder if he loved us, all we have to do is look at the cross and understand that it was because he so loved the world, he gave his only son. Because he loved you, he sent his son to die for you. 
And in that, he's proven his great love for us. See, that lets us breathe and lets us off the hook, right? And that, that, that gives us permission to be okay, even if people around us aren't okay. See, because if my life is dependent on somebody else, then that means that my weakness, my strength is only as great as their weakness. My ability to be okay is only as great as their ability to be perfect. And when they miss the mark, if I'm a mess, then I have entrusted my life and my well-being into the hands of other people, and God never intended it for it to be that way, ever. He had never intended for your life to be the product of somebody else's ability to be perfect or we'd all just be screwed up messes. He intended our life to be lived through the love that He gave for us through His Son, Jesus Christ, and understanding Him as Father and following Him as our Father. Remember Jesus as they said, your mother and your brothers are here. And He said, who is my mother and my brother? It's He that does the will of my Father. In other words, He was like, you guys, you don't understand something. That that there's a greater picture here. There's something else. There's something that's missing. And I think that Jesus knew that we were really prone a lot of times to want to find the villain and want to find what's wrong and find the bad guy in the story so that we have somebody to blame so we can say, well, my life is a mess because they. Well, of course I'm screwed up. They didn't. But the gospel is greater than that. At some point in our lives, we've got to grow up. And stop thinking and acting like children. And understand that my life is a mess because I keep making decisions that cause my life to be a mess. And if I keep making decisions that cause my life to be a mess, maybe I should start making decisions based on something other than what I'm making the decisions on now. If I got me into this mess, then I'm not going to get me out. He is. And so then I have to have my mind renewed so that my life can be transformed. That's why Jesus, I mean, that's why the the gospel says that that we'll be transformed by the renewing of our mind. In other words, you have to change the way that you think. You became born again in an instant. All things are new. Everything, right? Everything, uh, every man who's in Christ is therefore now a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, everything is made new. That is truth. That's the gospel. However, you have all these thought processes and all these ways of living and acting and the way that you process things and the way that you think that are still in your mind and your mind has to be transformed and your mind has to be renewed by truth. And so if you, your truth that you believed was, I can't be okay because somebody didn't do something, then when we read the Bible and we see that we're actually okay because he said that I'm okay and I'm in Christ, then I can renew my thinking. And anytime I think that I should settle for less than what Jesus died for me to have, I understand that doesn't make any sense because my life is not dependent on them. And I'm not going to hand the keys to my life to be okay to be with someone. I'm telling you guys, listen to me. We have got to get to a place where we start taking accountability and personal responsibility for our lives. And not try to blame somebody else for everything that happens. Otherwise, all it is is we sit around and we compare scars and we see who has the worst and we give them the most right to be dysfunctional. Or we could sit around in a room with Jesus and we could see his scars and understand that we have a right to not be dysfunctional because he took scars so that we didn't have to be. You ever been with people like that? Like where it becomes this thing where everyone sits around and digs up all these things of, of the reasons why they can't be okay because people, because this, because that, because this person didn't do that and that person didn't do that and they weren't here and they weren't there. And listen, I know some of that stuff's hard, you guys. I understand and I'm not saying that none of that stuff affects us. But what I am saying is that we've got to come to see a greater truth. There's got to be something greater than that. There's got to be a power that's greater than people's ability to screw up our lives that makes us able to live a life that Jesus Christ died for us to live. There has to be something greater. It's the gospel. It's becoming born again. It's being filled with the Spirit of God and it's living from truth rather than for it. I'm just trying to figure out. I have like seven different messages inside me right now that are trying to come out. And I'm trying to figure out which one's for today. God, I just thank you that you're perfect. God, I thank you, Holy Spirit, right now that that as I speak, that you're speaking through me. Because you know every single person in this room. You know where we're at. You know our needs. You know our wants. You know our hearts. You know where we're at in life. And you know the things that we need to hear. God, I just ask that this word today would be straight from your heart to my mouth. That the things that I speak, God, would be everything you have for us to hear. Holy Spirit, I ask that, that the eyes of our understanding would be open, that our ears would be open to hear, and our, our hearts to receive truth, that our hearts would be good ground, that we would be fertile soil. God, that, that our lives would produce fruit, that a world that is lost without you, that doesn't know you, could taste and see that you're good because the fruit of my life, the fruit of our lives. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys, we have to be okay. 
And this isn't a buck up, grab yourself by the bootstraps. This is saying that if we are to do what Jesus Christ called us to do, which is as the Father sends me into the world, so I also send you, then we've got to live a life where we're free from the insecurities and all the issues that come along with, with, with putting expectations on people to be something they were never meant to be. If we place people in a position in our lives that only God is supposed to fulfill, it's our fault when, 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 they, when they do something and let us down. It's not their fault. They were never meant to be in that position to begin with. If I disappoint you, it's because you have misappointed me. You've put me in a position that only God can fill. And so your hope is in me. And then when I don't do something the way you think that I should, or you don't, I don't respond the way that you think I should, suddenly now you're disappointed and I've missed the mark and you're not okay. And not only can you not be okay, but in a lot of cases we can no longer have relationship because I did something or didn't do something that you thought I should or shouldn't. It's got to be bigger than that, you guys. It's got to be greater than that. There's got to be something that draws us together as a family that says, listen, it doesn't matter if you're perfect or if you're not perfect. It doesn't matter if you screw up or miss the mark. I love you. I'm for you. I'm here for you. In fact, when I see you mess up and screw up and miss the mark, I want to love you even more because I can understand that there's something going on in your life. I don't want to abandon you and cut you out of my life. I want to come running to your rescue even more when things like that are happening. Because I see you acting in a way that shows me that you don't quite understand who you are in Christ or you're acting outside of the character and nature of the God that lives inside of you and that's not who you are. See, we're so hung up on this thing of, of, of not judging people. You know, like if you say something to people, you're judging them and everybody in the world knows the verse. You know, judge not lest you also be judged. And we throw that verse around and most of the time it's so far out of context that we, 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 we skewer it and make it mean something that Jesus never meant for it to mean. Because Paul, when he's writing, said, when I said to have nothing to do with people who sin, I wasn't talking about those outside of the church in the world. For what business do I have judging them? God will judge them. I meant any so-called brother, anyone who's within the family of, of faith who is doing those things continually, those are the ones that you're actually supposed to judge the actions of. And we're not judging the people and saying the people are bad, but we're judging the action and saying that doesn't line up with who Jesus Christ died for you to become. But nowadays, if we go to somebody and we say something to them, it becomes, well, who are you to judge? I'm not judging you. I'm telling you what the judge said. I'm a spokesperson for him. I read the word and he tells me that I should go to you. Actually, if I see you in sin, that I should go to you and I should say something to you. Not because I want to make you feel bad. Not because I want to accuse you and not because I'm angry at you. Because I love you and you're living in a way that is going to bring death because the wage of the sin is death. You're living in a manner that's destructive. And if I love you, why wouldn't I tell you? If you came to my house and you saw my son playing that game where they stab a knife between their fingers and you realize he had a super sharp knife, you'd probably go over to him and say, hey, you shouldn't do that because if you keep doing that, eventually you're going to cut one of your fingers off. And if he looked at you and said, don't judge me, wouldn't that seem silly? Like, I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you that you're doing something that is eventually going to lead to harm. And I don't want to see you harmed. So I'm coming to you and telling you this so that you stop doing it before you fall into harm. There's nothing to do with judgment. I'm saying that what you're doing is going to lead you to a place where you're going to get hurt. In fact, the most judgmental thing that we can do probably is to not point that stuff out if we see it going on in somebody's life. Why? Because if I, the only reason I wouldn't say something to you if I see you acting that way is if I thought that's who you were. Like when a dog barks, it's just doing what a dog does. So I don't say... Don't bark. I mean, I might if I don't like it barking, but ultimately I understand it's only barking because it's a dog. If I see it lift its leg and pee on a tree in front of everybody, I don't say, hey, don't do that. Don't pee on the tree. Why? Because he's a dog and that's what dogs do. They lift their legs and pee on trees to mark territory. Now, if I see my 35-year-old friend walk out in my front yard, lift a leg and start peeing on a tree, I probably would say something to him. Why? Because he's not a dog. And he's acting in a way that is not congruent with who he is. Well, in the same way, if I see you or you see me living in a way that's not congruent with who we are in Christ and the life that we're called to live, I would hope you would say something to me because the fact that you're saying something to me means that you actually believe that I am holy, upright, and a son or daughter of God. Because if you don't, then I'm assuming that you must think, well, that's just who I am. Because the only reason I wouldn't say something to my friend if he's peeing on the shrubs is if I thought that's what he, who he was and what he was supposed to do. In that case, I'd just continue to let him do what he's doing. And if I went to my friend and said, hey, bro, look, um, I'm just curious. <clears throat> you're not a dog. And you're a grown man. 
And I'm pretty sure you know you shouldn't do that for a number of reasons. One, you could get arrested for it if a cop happened to drive by while you're doing it. Two, you could be exposing yourself to somebody. And three, it's disgusting. Um, I saw you peeing on a tree earlier. In the front, I know, the halo is shrinking. It's okay. <laughs> Paul talked about dung. I can talk about pee. <laughs> but if, if I said to him, look, bro, I, I saw you earlier by the tree in the front yard peeing. And he looked at me and said, don't judge me. I, I'm not judging you for doing that. I'm saying there's something obviously going on with you that would make you want to act in that way. And if there is something going on that's making you act in a way that's not who you are, I want to know what it is because I'm here to help you, not judge you and not punish you. See, if we live in this bubble where nobody can say anything to us about things that go on in our lives, we've placed ourselves in a really, really scary place because what we're saying is I live my life absolutely perfect and there's no chance that I would ever need any of you to ever see something that I can't see and say something to me. Oh, how prideful would that be? You, you remember the disciples as they walked with Jesus? Every now and then he'd have to give them a word of correction. Wouldn't it have been silly if they would have looked at him and said, why are you judging me? Don't judge me. Take the speck out of your own eye, bro. Right? You've heard that one before, right? Like, take the speck out of your own eye. We use that, but what we don't understand is that Jesus said, don't try to take the speck or take the log out of your own eye. Don't try to... Take the speck out of someone's eye until you've taken the log out of your own eye. Then you'll be able to see clearly. In other words, he's never saying that there's no chance that you see something in someone else's eye. What he's saying is make sure that you're seeing clearly so that you can actually help people. It's imperative that we actually get the log out of our eye, see who we are in Christ, so that we can actually see when people are acting outside of Christ. So that we can go to them and say, hey, you've got a speck in your eye. Let me get that. You're not seeing clearly. That's why he talked about it in the eye. It's because if we're acting in a way outside of who Jesus is, there's something we're not seeing clearly. We have a vision problem. But what happens so often is, is that, that because we don't have real relationships in this life and we're not actually transparent with each other, we never get to a place where people feel comfortable enough to actually say something to us when they see that going on. And so we have these fake plastic relationships where everything's good as long as everything's good and the second everything's not good, I find a new fake plastic relationship to take that one's place. That's got to stop. There's no way that we grow if we do that. All we'll do is bounce from place to place and have a ton of acquaintances and have a ton of plastic fake relationships and we'll never actually be real with each other and we'll never be real enough with ourselves to actually have the relationship do what the relationship is supposed to do. Iron only sharpens iron when they come into contact and they strike and there's sparks. A lot of times we see sparks we think there's going to be fire and there's going to be smoke and we're going to get burned and so we run from the very thing that was supposed to be used to help shape us and sharpen us. That's why we have to have actual, real, biblical friendships. I think I've figured out where he wants me to go today. And if I haven't, (laughs) forgive me. But I really honestly believe that so many of us are lacking true friendships in in the real sense of friendship. And I think that we've settled for a counterfeit. I think that's why social media is so huge. is because deep inside of every one of us, there's a longing for friendship that has to be filled. And the enemy is super happy if we'll do that. With social media, things like Facebook, Twitter, whatever. I don't know. I'm not really all that savvy on this stuff. Is my, People still use MySpace? <laughs> Everyone laughs. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> not in this room anyways, right? There you go. Okay, well, that, it was hip. The kids were all doing it, Brandon, for a while. But, I mean, think about it, right? Because every one of us has a longing to actually know and be known. The problem is, is if we, do, if we do it superficially, we'll settle for actually just knowing what people want us to know and only being known to the level that we let people know us. So those pictures that we put on Facebook are actually filtered through 17 different filters and we've, we've searched through. How many pictures do we look through? Honestly, here, you know what? Take out your phones right now, real quick. Everyone, everyone take out your phone. You know you've got them. If you already had it out, act like you're digging it out. If you were doing something else, close that down. I know, everyone reads their Bible in church on their phone. Nobody ever is on anything else. I just choose to believe that. Um, so take out your phones, turn on your cameras. Go to your camera. 
that's okay. If you don't, just look at somebody next to you. Find some shallow, empty person next to you that has theirs. (laughs) Totally kidding. Okay, now if your phone has it, turn it to selfie mode. That's how self-absorbed we are. You all know what I'm talking about. Ready? If it doesn't have selfie mode, then turn the thing around. Now, what I want you to do real quickly is I want you to snap a picture. I'm serious. Everybody, just point your phone at your face and snap a picture. Do it. Look what you're doing right now. You guys are posing and looking for the best light. (laughs) Can't even do it. (laughs) Shame on all of you. How many of you adjusted the angle before you actually pushed the button? Yeah, look, everyone, does this make me look skinny? Do I look too skinny? How's the lighting over here? Oh, look at them on that side. They're lucky. They got the better background. Yeah. Okay. All right, now look. Now, let me now do something real quick. Do something real quick. Look at the picture. What's the first thing you notice when you look at the picture? Being honest. Be real transparent. You'll find something wrong. Yeah, exactly. Good or bad. Huh? Wrinkles in your neck. Okay, who else? Who else is brave enough to say the first thing they notice? Double chin. All right. See, now we're getting real. The goatee. What else? What's the first thing you noticed when you looked at it? Were you happy with it? Huh? Your camera's real fuzzy. Anybody look at the picture and think, dude, that's awesome. And that should go straight to Facebook. Three dudes. That's, but that's who you are. See, all that stuff that you were talking about and the negative things that popped into your head, like we can laugh and we can joke about it, but at the end of the day, that's who you are. It's what you look like in that picture at that time, from that angle, in that lighting. Some of you guys are like, no, it's not, it's bad. <laughs> But what we normally do is we normally take a ton of pictures and then we look through for the one that we think looks the best. And then when we find the one that we think looks the best, we put it into a program and we run it through filters and find which filter we think looks the best. And then we crop and change and twist and contort and all this stuff. And then when we finally think it looks good enough for other people to see, then maybe we'll publish it online. And let other people see us. Why do we do that? Why are we so insecure that we can't just, if we're going to put a picture of ourselves online, just put up a picture of what we looked like when we took the picture? Why do we got to try to look through and find the one that looks the least like us that we think looks the best? Because from this lighting, you can't really see that. No, but see, here's the thing, is insecurity stinks. It's horrible. It began in the garden. Open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. I'm locked in now. So it could be an hour and a half. You guys don't mind that, right? Just just say you don't mind, because I'm going to go as long as I want to go. If you finish before I do, just leave. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. I honestly wonder how many of those pictures are going to end up on the computer with the story of why you took that picture. (laughs) But but here's the thing. If you wouldn't let people see that, then what chance is it that you're going to let them see something inside that maybe isn't even as good looking as that picture that you just took? If you don't have real enough friendships and real enough relationships that you're unwilling to let people see a picture of you, how in the world would you let them see something that's going on inside that may be really ugly, that may not be cute, that may not be good? We we don't even trust each other to the superficial level. I won't even let you see what I really look like. Why on earth would I open up and show you what I really look like? See, that's got to change, you guys. I think in the church as a whole, but in this church, 
is the one that God's put me in charge of shepherding. I want to see that change because I'm so sick of people having relationships that are based on surface stuff. And the first time something goes wrong, rather than diving in and saying, I love you and I'm for you and I'm not going to let this happen. We cut each other out of, out of our lives and say, well, that person did this and it's our defense mechanism, right? Because somebody disappointed me. Somebody hurt me. Somebody didn't respond or didn't do the things that I thought that they should do. So I started putting up these walls and said, I'll never be hurt again. The problem is, is that walls are really good at keeping you from being hurt. They're also really good at keeping you from being loved because they don't know the difference to the extent that our wall will keep out hurt it'll keep out love genesis 3 verse 6 you there when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise she took from its fruit and ate she gave also to her husband with her and he ate Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. When the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself and he said to him, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I've commanded you not to eat? See, for the first time, insecurity enters into the picture. Why is there insecurity? Why did Adam and Eve become insecure and feel the need to cover themselves and hide themselves? Did God change when they ate the fruit? Do you think when he asked Adam, did you eat the fruit, he was really wondering if Adam ate the fruit? Or do you think maybe because he's all-knowing beginning from end to end from the beginning, he already knew that Adam ate the fruit? Do you think that when he walked into the garden and looked for Adam, that he didn't already know that Adam had ate the fruit? He already knew. So God hadn't changed. He said that Adam would walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day. So here it comes to the time of day when God comes into the garden and spends time with Adam and spends time with Eve. And as he walks into the garden for the first time, man's not there waiting for him. Man has actually decided that there's some reason that he needs to hide. And so he takes fig leaves and he covers himself up. And he becomes insecure in front of God. But the sad thing about it too is they became insecure in front of each other. Because before God entered into the garden, it said that they made themselves covering so that they could cover themselves from each other. And because they didn't understand the heart of the Father, they find themselves running and hiding from the one who created them behind a tree that he spoke and it came into existence. Sounds silly. And they took fig leaves and they covered themselves up. Why? Because insecurity and not understanding how much they were loved and not understanding the heart of God towards them caused them to not understand each other. When we have problems in our earthly relationships, it's usually a signal that there's a problem with our heavenly relationship. If we're insecure with people, it's usually because we're insecure with the Father. Because when we're insecure in who He is and who He's called us to be, and we know who He is for us, and we know how loved we are by Him, it's very easy to be secure with people. Because now I don't need you to respond a certain way to be okay. I'm okay, so I can actually just be myself. And if you like me, you like me. And if you don't, I'll pray for you. Because if you don't like me, something's wrong with you. (laughs) Duh. But have you ever thought about that? Like, what's the reason that we don't like people? Have you ever said that about somebody? I just don't like them. Come on, you guys. All right, do this real quick. Stand up. Stand up right where you're at. Repeat after me. I am in a building that we call church. I did not leave my brain on the doorstep. I am still a human. I can still respond. I can laugh. I can have fun. And I can enjoy God and others. All right. Sit on down. Okay. Okay. You feel better now? So, so let me ask you now. Now, let's be honest. Who has actually said before, I just don't like that person? 
You don't have to raise your hand. You can just respond, raise your hand, whatever, you know. Yeah, all right, there we go. Okay, we've all said, I just don't like them. Why don't we like people? They're rude. So if someone's rude, I don't like them. Why else? They get on your nerves. So if they get on my nerves, I don't like them. They're needy. They have a different opinion. Can we get the prayer team over here to aisle two? <laughs> they don't dance and sing when we're playing. <laughs> Better send two. They have a high opinion of themselves. You guys realize that every single one of these things that they've said that we're called to be the answer to because we have the gospel inside of us. Every single reason that you could give me why you don't like somebody is a reason that we should become the hands and feet of God and actually love that person to a place of wholeness. Because why are they needy? Because they don't know him. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If I know him as shepherd, if I know him as father, then I don't have any want and any need in my life. So if somebody's needy, it's not that I say, I just don't like that person and I cut them out of my life. I figure out why are they needy and then I go and I give them what they need, which is the truth. See, they may think that they need a whole bunch of things, but what they really need is the gospel. If they understood who they were in Christ, then they would be secure. They're rude. Why are they rude? Probably because they've been hurt in the past. Probably because so many people have been rude to them that they've decided rather than waiting for people to be rude and hurt them, they'll just be rude first. You guys realize that if we as Christians decide that every single person who acts in a broken way is not worthy of our time and our friendship, that what we will do is leave a whole bunch of people standing in darkness while all the light gathers together in one place and then complains about why the world's so dark? See, no, we laugh, but it's true, right? Because we just, all of us have said that. I just don't like them. Well, guess what? And then we use this one. Well, I will love them but I won't like them. Just because I have to love them doesn't mean I have to like them. Give me a break. You may not like what they do. That's okay. But what we have to understand is they're doing that because somewhere deep inside of them, there's dysfunction. There's something broken. There's something that needs to be fixed by the love of the Father and by the Gospel. And guess who's been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation to the Father? Now we see that God was through Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting their sins against them. So we beg as if God Himself pleads through us to be reconciled to the Father. It doesn't say now we see that God was through Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting their sins against them. So the people that we get along with, we tell them about God and ask them to be reconciled to God. It doesn't say that. It says that we beg as if God Himself pleads through us, be reconciled to the Father. And when you see brokenness and you decide that you don't like them because of that, that should be a sure sign that they need the gospel and that maybe you do too. Yeah. If someone can get on my nerves, I have a problem. And that's what I'm saying. If we see somebody and we say, I don't like them, chances are there's probably something in them that needs the gospel, but there's probably a chance there's something in us that does too. Because do you realize that Jesus never said, well, the Pharisees, I will like them, I will love them, but from a distance. You understand that the very people who wanted to kill him were the very people that he offered up his life for. He didn't say, well, I came and I tried. So, they can all just go to wherever they go. But you guys, if we're not okay, then we will respond to people's dysfunction with dysfunction of our own. See, if I'm not okay and I'm broken, then when you display your brokenness, I have nothing to give because that which I have, I give. Freely receive, freely give. If I'm freely receiving the love of the Father, then I actually have the love of the Father to freely give. But if I don't and all I have is dysfunction and brokenness inside of me and I'm looking to people to fill what God can only fill, then when they do something wrong or they break my trust or they do something to hurt me, why are we hurt by people? Why are we hurt by people? Why? But I'm saying, like, what's the, is the gospel not greater than somebody's ability to be perfect? 
Like, did, did Jesus dying on a cross and God calling me His Son and forgiving everything that I've ever done, filling me with His Holy Spirit, promising that He would never leave me and never forsake me, that I would spend eternity with Him, are all those promises not greater than somebody's ability to screw up? See, we'll quote verses like the joy of the Lord is my strength. But actually, if people can hurt me, then it's not the joy of the Lord that's my strength because the joy of the Lord never goes away. It doesn't matter if people act perfectly to me or not. The joy of my, the Lord and people's ability to be nice to me is my strength. People's ability to recognize who I am. People's ability to stroke my ego. People's ability to, to respond the way I want them to respond. And it all comes back to something we've been talking about so much lately. But there is such a huge difference between manipulation and love. And we have confused one with the other. Because manipulation says, I'll do this so that you, as long as you. Manipulation says, I will act a certain way so that you respond, so that you like me, so that you. And if you don't meet my needs, if you don't do, that's what you guys, listen, uh, marriage is not hard. If you're in it for them. Marriage is impossible if you're in it for you. If you are in it for you, marriage is absolutely impossible. Because there will come a time where that person won't meet your needs. And then what? Then we find somebody else who does meet my needs. And when that person doesn't meet my needs, we find somebody else who meets my needs. It's the same thing as friendships, you guys. At some point, we've got to make a commitment that says, look, the Bible says that those who name the name of Christ ought to, in this world, walk as he walked. That means if Jesus said that he would never leave or forsake, if Jesus said that he sticks closer than a brother, if that's who God is, then that's who we're called to be for people. And there should come a time in our lives where we actually make commitments to people as friends and say, listen, I love you and I'm committed to you. And it doesn't matter if you respond right or not. I'm never going to stop loving you and caring about you. And there's nothing that you can do that's going to chase me away. Because guess what? That was the message of the cross to us. I love you and I care about you and I'm never going to stop pursuing you. And it doesn't matter if you respond the way that I want you to respond or not. I love you because I love you. And if you never love me back, it's okay. I still love you. But you don't understand. They did this. Guess what? That's them showing that they need the gospel desperately. Why would you run away and take the very thing that they need with you? It's like the man with the fire extinguisher running away from the man that's on fire because he doesn't want to get burned. You have the very thing that he needs and you're going to run away and leave him there burning? Are you kidding me? Well, you don't understand. They were so mean. Well, they were so unloving. Well, they, 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 they. What does any of that have to do with who Jesus Christ called you to be in this world? I'm serious, you guys. Look, I just don't, I don't know why, but we need to understand this. And if this offends you or this bothers you, then, then you have to take that to the word and compare it to the gospel because this is the gospel that Jesus came and preached. He said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to be the servant of all. If any of you want to be great in the kingdom, he must become the least. And we're so insecure because we don't understand how much He loves us that we're not even capable of having real friendships and real relationships. All we can have is mutual manipulation. I'll only manipulate you as long as you only manipulate me. That's what, that's what a lot of marriages are, you guys. You understand that? That a lot of people get married and they, all they want is what that person makes them feel like or what that person does for them. And so they get married to that person so that person can do for them and make them feel that way for the rest of their lives. And the second that person stops doing, they stop loving. That's got to stop, you guys. That's why the divorce is high in the church as it is outside of the church. We have the gospel. We have the spirit of the living God inside of us. We've made a covenant vow that is bound together by the spirit of God, a cord that is not easily broken. What God has joined together, let no man separate. And yet divorce is just as high in the church as it is outside of the church. And we're so busy trying to justify and find a reason why what we can take something that Jesus said and twist it around and make it sound like Jesus said it was okay as long as this happens, that we've missed the whole point that we're called to actually love that person. And we're so busy trying to find a way that we can justify what we're trying to do because we're living selfishly and for ourselves that we can't even take our eyes off ourselves long enough to see there's a person that we're called to love. That we stood before God and before people and said, I will do this as long as we both shall live, period. 
You didn't put a caveat in there. It didn't say as long as Karen loves me the way she should, right, Bob? It didn't say as long as Bob doesn't, doesn't, doesn't do anything else outside of our marriage, did he? Because if you would have said that, then you would have had a reason that you could get out of it, but you didn't. You said, I will do these things as long as you're alive. As long as Bob's heart is breathing, he's met the requirement of your covenant vow that you've made. As long as her heart's beating, she's met the covenant vow that you made. But that doesn't feel like a burden anymore, does it? feels like the greatest joy of your life. We were just laughing like 10 minutes ago, you guys. What happened? Yeah, but Jesus said that, you know, when they asked him if there was any reason at all, he said that if there was adultery, no, that's not what Jesus said. Okay, here goes. Ready? Here's what we believe, or what I believe at this church. And this is, this is until someone can show me something different in Scripture. This is what Jesus said. They came to him in Matthew, and they were trying to test him. They always wanted to test him to get him to disagree with Moses. Because if they could get him to disagree with Moses, they could find him guilty of blaspheming, and they could kill him. And that's ultimately what they wanted to do. So they came to him, and they said, is it permissible for a man to, get a divor- uh, for a man to, to put away his wife? Because back then, a wife couldn't divorce her husband, so it wouldn't have made sense for them to ask that. But is it, is, it, is it permissible for a man to put away his wife for any reason? And Jesus responded and said what? Have you not read from the beginning that God said, let them be man and wife, male and female. And what God has joined together, let no man separate. And he stops talking. He's done. He's answered their question. They came to him and they said, is it okay? And he said this, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Period. When you read your Bible, he's done talking says, then they came to him and said, well, why did Moses, why did they come to him and ask him, why did Moses? Because they're trying to get him to contradict and say Moses was wrong so that they can kill him for blaspheming. And so he answers to them and says, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses suffered you a certificate of divorce. But from the beginning, this was not so. So what is he saying to them? You got to remember, this is old covenant. He's talking to people who are under the old covenant and he's giving them an answer of why under the Mosaic law, Moses allowed for there to be divorce. And this is what he said. He said, because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses did this. Remember, he answered the question, said, what God has joined together, let no man separate, period, done. He's done talking. If they don't ask him another question, he doesn't answer. And they said, is it okay for any reason? He answers no. Now they come to him and say, well, what about Moses? And so he gives people who are under the law the reason why under the law it was allowed because of the hardness of their hearts. And so we take that verse and then we stand on that and say, well, Jesus said it was okay in in case of this. No, Jesus did not say it's okay in case of this. He said because of the hardness of their hearts, that was allowed. So what are we going to say? Are we going to say, well, I want to be under the Mosaic law and I have a hard heart and so I'm going to cling to that verse and use that as my excuse to do something that Jesus said was not supposed to be done? The problem with that is Paul said, if you want to submit to one part of the law, you have to submit to all of it. And you no longer have a hard heart if you're born again. Why? Because I'll take from them the heart of stone and I'll give them a heart of flesh and I'll put my law upon their hearts. I know, that's, 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 a, that's, that's, that's so, so harsh. No, you know what it is? It's God saying, I honor covenant and I honor commitment. And when you stood before me and you made this commitment, I honor that commitment and what I've joined together, let no man separate. Why? Because you're not in it for you. And as long as they're alive, they need you to love them and keep your commitment and keep your vow. And as long as you're alive, you need to love them and keep your vow and keep your commitment. But we, we want so badly to twist things and to make the gospel something that it's not and to make it fit into what I want and what my lifestyle is and, and what my choices are. So I take the gospel and I connive these things and I do spiritual jumping jacks to try to make it say something that it doesn't. And here's the point. If I boil it down and I'm completely honest and I'm completely transparent about it, the reason that I'm trying to twist the gospel and twist what Jesus said to make it fit is because deep down inside of me there's some selfishness and I'm not loving my own life and not unto death. I haven't denied myself, taken up my cross, and following Jesus. 
Because every reason that I could give would be something to do with something that they're not providing for me or something that I want. And at the bottom of all of that is selfishness. At the bottom of every single dysfunction in marriage is selfishness on somebody's part. Well, it was on their part. Well, that's okay. Because you never said until death or selfishness do us part. You said until death do us part. And if that feels heavy, then we don't understand what God's plan and intention for marriage is because it was never intended to be something heavy. It was always intended to be something light. It was always intended to be something that we enjoyed. It was always intended to be a a relationship that is the overflow of the love of God in our lives one to another. It was never intended to be, I marry you so that you complete me. People say that in their vows. I won't let them when I marry them. Well, you complete me. No, God completes you. If you need a person to be completed, then you will have dysfunction in your marriage. Because God should never complete you. I mean, a person should never complete you. God should. You should be complete and whole. So that when you get joined together with another complete and whole Christian, the two become one and you have something that's complete and whole that was complete and whole already. If you get married looking for that person to fix you, you will never be fixed because they will never fix you. If you get married hoping that when I get married, things will change, things will this. Listen, marriage has nothing inside of it but what you put in there. It's an empty box. The only thing that's inside of marriage is the things that you put in. There's no romance inside of marriage itself. It's an institution. There's romance inside of a marriage because people are romantic. If you don't believe me stop being romantic and watch how much romance there is inside of the marriage there's no love inside of marriage people have love inside of them and the love that you put into your marriage is the love that your marriage will have if you don't believe me stop acting loving and see how loving your marriage is uh. and sometimes i read this read these this book and i read these words and i think maybe i'm too literal with it and maybe i'm i'm too radical with it and maybe i should just tone it down but i can't find anywhere where jesus toned it down and what good would it do us to tone it down and make the gospel lower so that it's easily accessible jesus never did that he wouldn't change it right so why would we he calls us to a higher standard listen if any of the things that i've said to you today convict you good Don't let them condemn you, but let them convict you. Let it pierce your heart. Let it actually change the way that you think. Let the gospel and the words of Jesus change the way that you think so that you stop getting what you've always got. Go love your wife. Go love your husband. Wake up in the morning and decide that today I am going to be the love of God on this earth. So the people I come in contact with are going to get loved by me whether they want to or not. If you come into contact with me today, you're going to experience the love of a loving father because that's what's inside of me and what's inside of me will come out. Guess what the truth of the matter is? (laughs) No one can stop you from doing that. That's the beautiful thing is that nobody can stop you from loving them. All they can stop is themselves from receiving it. And that has nothing to do with you. Because Jesus never called you to results. He only called you to obedience. Otherwise, you'll go home at the end of the day and determine whether it was worth it or not based on the way people responded. And you'll say, well, I tried that gospel thing. I tried that love thing and it didn't work. The gospel isn't something that you try so that it works. The gospel is a life that you've become. It's who you are. I don't try to love my wife. I love my wife because I love her. Well, I tried loving her. I I tried laying down my life and she didn't. Well, of course she didn't because you weren't actually loving them. You were manipulating, just calling it love. And you were waiting for a response. And the whole time they could tell that you were waiting for a response. And they felt pressured to do something. And they didn't want to play your little game anymore. So they didn't respond the way that you wanted them to respond. And the fact that you're sitting here complaining and saying, I tried it and it didn't work, means that you never did it to begin with. You tried an experiment. You didn't actually love. That's real straight, but it's the truth. Jesus didn't come and try to love you. He came and loved you. If he would have just tried the love thing, he would have gave up when everyone said, crucify him, give us, Barab- give us Barabbas and let him be crucified. He would have, that would have been the point, I think, where he probably would have said, okay, God, I tried. I tried to love them. I tried to lay my life down for them. And you see how they're responding. So can we just kill them all? 
Can we just give up and, and, and say that, you know what, it didn't work? But he never did. Why? Because it wasn't something he was trying. It's who he was. Love is not something you try. It's who you are. I want to... Um, I, 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 yeah, this was not planned, but I, I want to... Um, I want to pray right now for marriages um, because it, it really, me and my wife have been talking about it a lot lately. It just, it burdens me. You, you know, our marriages should provoke the world to want what we have just by looking at our marriage. Honestly, like they may say, you know, I'm not sure about all those animals getting into a boat and I'm not sure about, you know, the earth only being so many thousand years old. But one thing I can't deny is the men love their women and the women love their men. And even when things get hard, they stay with each other and they actually keep their commitments. And there's something about that that I can't deny. Our marriages, the way that we live our lives, should provoke the world to want what we have. There was a time, you guys, where people would try to pay the disciples with gold for what they carried. That's how real it was. Simon came to him and said, what is this Holy Spirit? What is this power? I must have it. Now we have such a cheap counterfeit that we can't even pay people to take it. Never mind someone want to buy it from us. Why? Because it looks just like the world. I'm in it for me and I'm in it for as long as it's fun. And when it stops being fun, I'm no longer in it because there's someone else out there who will be more fun. So I do, I want to pray for marriages. I want to pray for people who've already, before knowing truth and knowing who they were and understanding, went through a divorce and are now dealing with the aftermath of that. Because I know there's a lot of people out there like that. I know there's a lot of people who made mistakes, did things out of ignorance, did things before they understood, things that are, that are, that are gone, things that have been washed under the blood, things that have been removed from him as far as the east is from the west, but they struggle with the guilt now that they've come into truth and they've realized that, you know, some guy came to me and said, you know, I, I really thought that I had a good reason for divorce and all my friends told me I did. And then when I read the Bible, I understood that my reason wasn't valid. What do I do? And I said, well, if you're not born again and, and you're not a new creation in Christ, then you did all that stuff in ignorance to God's word. Then all you can do now is repent and live your life going forward on the, in the truth that you know. That's happened to a lot of people, you guys. There's couples in here right now. I know there is. I know there's couples in here who have thrown the D word around. Recently, probably. I just want to pray for us. I want to pray for our marriages. I want to pray for our relationships. Listen, if we can't even be real with the people that we have made a covenant with to spend the rest of our lives loving, how on earth are we going to have a real friendship outside of that? What chance is there that we'll ever have a real relationship where we open up and are truthful with people around us if we can't even be truthful with the one we've become one flesh with? And the last thing the world needs is a bunch of plasticky people faking it through life with a painted on smile on their face and heartbreak inside their chest. So here's what I want to do. If you want prayer, and this is not saying my marriage is a disaster. Maybe you just want prayer that God will sustain it. Maybe you just want prayer that God will continue to keep it on the track that it's on. Maybe it is a disaster right now. Maybe it is a wreck right now. Maybe there is selfishness. Maybe there are some things that need to be changed. I want to close up with this if you could come up and, uh, and, and just play out. Because what I would really like to do is right now, I'd like for us as a body to actually pray for each other, specifically for marriages. So if you want prayer for your marriage, then just be brave enough to raise your hand up right where you are and the people around you will pray for yours. Yeah. I pro- yeah, it's okay. Raise your hand. Seriously, you guys. Because listen, yeah. You guys, here's the deal. Listen. It is the heart of the Father that our marriages would display the covenant love and relationship that He offers to us through Jesus Christ. Paul says it's an earthly picture. No wonder the world has such a screwed up picture of what it looks like to be in relationship with the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. When the very thing that Paul said is the closest picture that we have on earth, we've taken and made such a mess of that when people look at it, they don't want anything to do with it. Right now, you know that most people coming out of college say that there's no reason other than tax benefits to get married. The majority of Americans right now say that there's no reason besides tax benefits that you would ever get married. That's, that should change, you guys. There should be enough people who live out what a covenant marriage looks like and what a loving marriage looks like that the world is provoked to want what we have because of our relationships. 
So raise your hands real quick if you want prayer for your marriage. Just do this. Why don't you just do this? Just stand up right where you are. That way we know. Look, some of you guys are standing up because your marriage is awesome and you want to protect it. Some of you guys are standing up because it's not and you want it to be. Whatever the reason is, it doesn't matter. The prayer is still the same. Yeah. Father God, I just thank you right now for every single person that's standing. God, I ask that every single marriage represented in this place would be a display of your love for us through Christ. God, I ask that we would repent and be broken of selfishness in our lives, God, but in our marriages particularly. God, that we wouldn't look for some reason why we can stop loving, but we would find the reason we can love in you. God, just break right now in Jesus' name. Selfishness. God, we repent for placing our spouses in a position that only you can fill and for holding them responsible for the disaster that follows. I just ask right now, in this, right now, God, right here, right now, as we stand, not someday, not just theoretically, God, but right now, that you, your love would move into our hearts, God, and move upon our hearts, and there would be a softening that would take place, God, that we would be filled not with just a burden, but with a desire to actually lay down our lives for the one that we're married to, God, for our spouse. That it, the greatest joy of our lives would be dying to ourselves and laying our lives down for them, God. God, I break any lies that have been spoken, that have been believed, that say that there's no way that it can make it, that it can never be good, that that we just picked the wrong one, that, that we just didn't know what we were doing. You may not have known what you were doing, but right now you do. God, I thank you for grace flowing into our marriages right now, God, that our hearts would be softened one towards each other, God. God, that we would stop fighting with flesh and blood and wrestling with flesh and blood, but we would understand who the battle is with and that we would fight the battle where it belongs, God, in the Spirit. God, I thank you for exposing manipulation for what it's for, God, that will never settle for manipulation. God, I ask that we would never settle for a cheap imitation of love, God, that, that, we would, that we would be so after your heart, God, that we would settle for nothing less. God, I thank you for that. God, I thank you for filling our marriages with fun once again, God. That you would restore the joy of our first love, God. That it would be like the first time that we hung out. Like it would be like the, like the honeymoon, God. That it would be like that first time when all that mattered was just being alone with that person and spending time. That God, that you would rekindle that in our hearts right now, God. I pray for that. I thank you for that, God. I thank you for fun in our relationships. I thank you for love in our relationships. I thank you for purity in our relationships. God, I ask for anything that's hidden to be exposed. God, not so that there can be punishment, but so that love can cover. I thank you for that, Father. God, I just thank you for such a fun, refreshing time in our marriages. God, for rekindling the desire that we have for each other. For putting gas on the fire, God, and lighting it hotter than ever before. I thank you for men who honor their wives with their eyes and with their minds, God. I thank you for men who joyfully honor their covenant they've made with their wives by what they look at and what they think about, God. That they come home every day happy to give the gift of purity to their wife. God, I thank you for women who honor the covenant they've made through what they watch and what they read and what they look at, God. 
who don't look to Hollywood for what a husband should be like, but look to you for who it looks like to be like a, a loving wife, God, and then lay down their lives, God, one for the other. I break any lies that say we made the wrong choice, we picked the wrong one. I thank you, God, that you said that you have bound together, that you're there, that you witnessed, God, that a covenant was made and two truly became one, bound together by your spirit. I thank you for that, God. I just ask that you continue to strengthen our marriages, God, that we would be so full of you, God, that we would have nothing but love inside to give. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. See, wouldn't it be a whole lot more fun if everybody you met you could just love? You didn't have to sort through and say, well, I don't like them. They annoy me. They bug me. They get on my nerves. They this, they that. You could actually just love everybody you met. But think about it. Isn't that so much easier a way to live, you guys? We're, we're starting with the one that we sp- are going to spend our lives with. We actually can just love them for who they are. And when they're not acting like who they are, we love them in return to a place of wholeness where we speak truth to them, where we don't judge who they are by what they've done, but we actually see them for who they are and see them for who God says they are. And we actually speak the truth to each other. Why don't we try that this week, you guys, all of us married couples, wake up in the morning and speak truth over each other. When you wake up in the morning, let the first thing that comes out of your mouth, before you go on Facebook, before you check your emails, before you do anything, when you the first thing that comes out of your mouth, let it be truth that you speak over them about how much you love them, care about them, how much you cherish them, how wonderful they are, how fearfully and wonderfully they've been made, how beautiful they are, how thankful you are that God gave them to you. Speak that to each other. Start your day from that place and watch what happens. See, because otherwise you could spend your time, and the rest of that message, maybe we'll get to some more time, but but you could spend your time, if if, if you're not insecure and hiding, then the other thing that we do is we try to earn, right? Because we're insecure and so we try to earn it. It's what the prodigal son did. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Let me make me as one of your hired servants. In other words, there's no way that you could love me the way you did because of what I've done, but let me work and I'll try to earn my way back in. And so so we'll spend our lives trying to earn something. But, But rather than your spouse having to try to earn their way and trying to work their way by the end of the day and hope they've done enough good that you would actually say those things, start them from that place where they wake up in the morning and they understand how loved they are, how cherished they are, how valued they are. And then watch them go out and act like the person that you declared them to be that morning, that you spoke over them. Let's do that. I'm serious, you guys. Let's do that. Let's just, let's just decide that from here out, that the first thing our spouses are going to hear in the morning, rather than it be the voice of the stranger accusing, and because trust me, he's speaking through so many different voices. How about if the first voice they hear in the morning is Father God speaking through you and telling them who they are? What if that was the first voice that you heard every morning was the voice of the Father speaking through the one that He gave you to live with for the rest of your life? And that we decided that there would never be another thing that would come from my mouth that I can't picture coming from His mouth towards me. What would that change? What would it change if I made a, a declaration, I made a decision, I made a promise that from now on if I, couldn't, if I can't hear it coming from the Father towards me, my spouse won't hear it coming from me towards them? What would that change? God, we love you. God, I just thank you for your heart for marriage, God. I thank you for your heart towards and for marriage. God, I just pray right now for every single marriage represented in this room, God, that they made a covenant that you said should not be torn apart. God, I thank you that everything you've ever called us to do, you've equipped us and graced us and even found joy in the doing. God, that you've never called us to be a husband that we're incapable of being when we're filled with you and leaning on you, that you've never called us to be a wife that we're incapable of being when we're filled and complete in you. So I just thank you, God, for your church worldwide, God, that our marriages would be something that would provoke the world to jealousy, that they would want what we have because of our marriages, because of our relationship, because of our friendships. Holy Spirit, I just pray that if there's anyone in here whose heart is torn right now, that you would continue to speak truth lovingly. That you would draw them to the Father.
give you praise, give you honor, give you glory for what you are doing and what we know that you will do. And so we thank you for it. And we expectantly wait to see the fruit of the gospel in our marriages and in our relationships. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, you guys, um, we, I, I love you. I love every single person in here, even if I don't know your name. I love you, and I care about you, and I want to see you walk in God's best. And I know sometimes when I get up here, my wife tells me afterwards, you have that intense look, and, and it, could look like, <laughs> it could look like I'm like, ah, you know, or whatever, but I'm not. It's just that the, there's such a deep desire inside of me to see our lives line up with the truth of the gospel. Because we're wasting our life if it doesn't. And there's no use in waiting 10 years to start actually putting it into practice. Like start living the gospel out today. I love something my wife, and I'll close up with this, I promise. Something my wife uh, heard someone say and she repeats it all the time. She says that I live today understanding that one day I will live in the fruit of what I do today. That one day I'll live in the fruit of the seed that I sow today. Mindful that what I do today matters, not just for today, but for years to come. That's a beautiful promise. If it's scary, then think about the seed that you're sowing. And get a different seed. If you're worried about thorns and hard times right now because of the seed that you've been sowing, start sowing different seed today believing that one day you'll enjoy the fruit of it. We love you guys. Um, Find some people you don't know before you leave. Say hey to them. Build some relationship with people. Get to know them. Our prayer team's going to be up front right now. Listen, if you didn't want to stand up or or for some reason you just, you, you couldn't, and it's for marriage, you can come up and get prayed for that right now. Or if you have anything else you need prayer for, please, you guys, that we would love to pray for you. Don't leave wishing you'd been prayed for. Don't leave needing prayer for anything. If you need prayer for anything at all, please come up and let us pray for you. We love you guys. We're so thankful for you. We bless you as you go. We'll see you back soon.